Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. This is the podcast that's all about mental health, destigmatizing mental illness, humanizing therapists, and demystifying therapy. Today, I'm talking to one of my old supervisors, Tim Mendoza. This week, we dive a little deeper into clinical supervision and what exactly it entails. For those of you who are already therapists or those of you who are about to step into the field, this is a really good episode because we talk about the different types of clinical supervision and kind of what to expect as you move along in your career. Thanks for coming on the show, Tim. How about you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is uh, Tim Mendoza, and I am the outpatient supervisor at Bethana in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I have uh, my master's in education and uh, guidance and counseling from the University of Texas in El Paso. Awesome. Thanks so much. Today we're going to be talking about clinical supervision. And we're going to be talking about the different aspects of supervision and different types of supervision. So this is an episode that would be um, really important, especially if you are in a master's program. Um, and you're in a master's in counseling or social work program because after you graduate, it's not over. <laughs> you still have to get supervision to get your full license. And then after that, depending on where you work, um, you might be required to have uh, either weekly individual supervision or group supervision with a team. And so um, how I know Tim is that he's my former supervisor at the it well at the El Paso Child Guidance Center. So he was the clinical director there um and I was a therapist then got promoted to a therapist supervisor but he was my supervisor for a few years I think like three and a half years almost four years. So um we got to know each other really well. I think that he also, um, he wasn't necessarily my supervisor to get my license because I already walked into the clinic being licensed, but part of a requirement, something that was encouraged at the center that we worked at was group supervision and individual supervision just to kind of offer another level of support to the clinicians that see uh, clients. So that's how I know Tim. And so today he's going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a therapist supervisor. So right now you said that you work at a place called Beth Anna mm-hmm. um, in Philadelphia, correct? Correct. And so I'm uh, the, the supervisor for the outpatient therapy department in South Philadelphia. Um, so I'm a supervisor of two full-time therapists as well as a couple of contract therapists. I also conduct therapy there as well. The two evidence-based modalities that we use in outpatient therapy are PCIT and TFCBT. And since I'm certified in both, and I'm also working on becoming a level one trainer for PCIT, um, I get to supervise my clinicians in terms of their work with TFCBT, and hopefully, I think in January, um, I'm scheduled to uh, teach a round of clinicians uh, PCIT and train them to be PCIT therapists. Cool. You know, this is the first mention on the podcast of TFCBT and PCIT. Oh, okay. So let me explain. So yeah, I'm uh, like, so since you brought it up. (laughs) Yeah, 
TOCBT is uh, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's an evidence-based practice. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to get trained on uh, over there in, in El Paso, Texas, through our agreement with the uh, Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas. And I've been doing this since, uh, gosh, I would say about 2011, 2012. And it's specific for uh, kids ages probably around 6 to 17. Um, and it focuses on helping those who have been traumatized either, you know, through different kinds of abuse, neglect, um, you know, being involved in accidents, community violence, things like that. Um and PCIT is parent-child interaction therapy, which is another evidence-based modality that is geared towards uh, kids and their caregivers ages two to seven. Uh, and it's for kids who have a lot of behavioral problems at home, at school, um, and parents who need some help in terms of you know, parenting skills and improving their parenting skill sets. And it's really great. Again, I had the wonderful opportunity to be trained in PCIT there at the El Paso Child Guidance Center. Um, wonderful modality that really helps increase warmth uh, between caregiver and child and really helps with uh, reducing a lot of those negative behaviors and helping parents learn um you know, how to give effective commands and how to follow through with commands. Uh, so those are the types of uh, therapies that we focus on here at Bethana. That is awesome. And it's just those two primarily like? Primarily those two. And the reason it's those two is because uh, Philadelphia is a wonderful town when it comes to its focus on mental health and mental health with children. What you're saying essentially is that you're overseeing people who are practicing PCIT and TFCBT because ethically it's okay for you to do so because you're certified in those modalities. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of supervising uh, people who are trained in the other modalities, I mean, I could work with them and, and I could definitely staff cases with them, um, but to lend expertise in that, you know, modality, I would be able to do it. Um, so to provide supervision specifically with these types of cases, I would have to refer to somebody else who has the training and who has the expertise in this. Right. And I feel like that's important um, as far as understanding what kind of therapist you want to be, because I think in school, they don't really expose you to a lot of these different types of modalities, these extra certifications that you can be trained in. Maybe they talk about them, um, like for a theories class or something, but it's not something that uh, some schools push. At least mine didn't. Um, and I didn't really learn about TFCBT, PCIT, EMDR, all of those until I was at the guidance center. So I was like, whoa, this exists. Oh, my goodness. And so... Um, that's important information so that if you do want to practice a certain kind of therapy and your supervisor is not necessarily maybe trained in it or well-versed in it, um, it'd be important to kind of seek supervision either with someone else or have two supervisors, which I didn't know you could do, but apparently you can. <laughs> um, in certain, Texas. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really... Um it's really cool because at this organization, there's a lot of support in that not only do we have weekly individual supervision, but every two weeks 
we have one of our uh, vice presidents as well as people from other offices join in a consultation phone call uh, for PCIT and TFCBT, and we staff cases. And this isn't uh, towards certification in either of the modalities, but it's just to provide extra support. Um, and also, you know, it, it helps us when we're looking at getting more funding and training from PACT, you know, that they see that we're continuing to support our therapists in these modalities by, you know, having staffings and stuff like that from peer-to-peer and from supervisor to supervisee. Um, but, you know, you bring up a really good point in terms of therapists understanding and, and knowing, you know, what they want to do after they graduate because schools often don't expose you too much to the different types of modalities that are out there. Um, and I think a, a, a student's first glimpse or first kind of taste of, of different modalities is when they're they're doing their internship or their practicum. Um, so I think it's really important for agencies to maintain good relationships with um, universities in their area. Um, so that way they can, you know, let their students know what kind of therapy they'll be exposed to and what kind of training they'll be exposed to at different organizations. So um, you mentioned that, you know, you hadn't heard of TFCBT or any of these other therapies until you went to the guidance center. And, you know, one of the things that we try to implement at the guidance center that I'm also implementing here is, you know, any kind of intern that comes through or is, is part of our program, I want them to be exposed to TFCBT by doing their nine-hour online training. I want to expose them to PCIT by having them, you know, do the online training through UC Davis's web uh, on PCIT and trauma because I want them to know um, the types of therapy that are being done at that location to help them see if that's something that they would want to do or focus on because working with kids um, you know, is, you know, it's a very specific type of, of therapy and there's a lot of training that goes with it. Um, just like there are with, you know, other types of therapies working with, you know, couples working with, uh, adults who have, uh, you know, diagnoses of, you know, borderline personality disorder or, uh, things like eating disorders. There's a lot of specialized training that you have to go through. So I think it's really important to expose students and newer therapists to these types of modalities to see if it's something that they would, you know, like to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like over the years, you've gotten a lot of experience and so I would really like to ask you about how you became a therapist supervisor. How did that happen for you? My clinical director at the time, Kathy, um, was moving into the executive director position at the Child Guidance Center. Um, and I was going through a time of transition as well. And um, Kathy approached me and asked if I would be interested in um, applying for the position because they were going to be looking for uh, a clinical director to take over. I thought a lot about it, about what I wanted to do. Uh, and I think, I think the reason I applied for the position was, um, because uh, I really was excited about the direction that the El Paso Child Guidance Center was going in terms of the evidence-based practice that was being, uh, utilized, the, um, plans for the future to use more evidence-based practice, um, I had been trained in EMDR therapy through my time there, 
and I noticed how much it had helped the kids uh, there in that community. And I wanted to keep on doing as much as I could for the community, and I wanted to see the Child Guidance Center continue to grow. So I applied for the uh, position because I really uh, believed in what the Child Guidance Center was doing for the community, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I thought that with my training in TFCBT and EMDR that I could provide um, you know, some guidance and leadership to, to newer therapists coming on board. So uh, I applied and I ended up getting the uh, clinical director position. So this is something I think I want to differentiate for the listeners is that there's supervisors as in like your supervisor at your job, right? Like uh-huh. in the hierarchy of an organization, there's usually like employee, supervisor, then like manager or assistant manager and general manager and owner, right? Correct. And so for therapists, when we're talking about supervision, um, there are two types and I feel like we call them the same thing, but there's not, it's just kind of this like silent understanding between therapists and their own supervisors or wherever they work, like what that means. So, um, you became the clinical director, which is a form of being a supervisor. However, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your LPCS, which is an LPC license with the supervisor designation? And that's at least what they have here in Texas, right? Yes, so- yes. Yeah, in Texas, they have that designation. Um, so almost immediately uh, after getting hired, I was, um, I had, um, we had applied for me to take the the supervision course in Austin, Texas through uh, the UT uh, social work department. At that point in time, um, you could get trained by a social worker. LPCs and LMFTs could be trained by this person. Her name is Tammy. Um, and I've, I, I'm going to butcher her last name, and I'm sorry, but it, it's Tammy Lidsason, I think is how we pronounce it. And she is a um, social worker supervisor in the state of Texas. And um, she was working through UT social work department. And so almost immediately um, I was sent to supervisor uh, training so that I could become a licensed supervisor uh, in the state of Texas, because we uh, had felt that if I'm going to be a clinical director and supervising therapist, that I needed to be a licensed supervisor as well. um, Just to, just to help with that and to, to get me some training in supervision um, what it's like to be a clinical supervisor. Um, now, there is a distinction between, you know, administrative supervision and clinical supervision, and this is more for clinical supervision. Uh, when it comes to more administrative supervision, that's part of the job. You know, that's what we're talking about when we, we talk about supervisors and, and other you know, professions, you know, if you move on to a supervisor position, you're supervising administratively. Um, I think part of being a clinical director is that balance of, you know, administrative supervision in terms of running a program, as well as clinical supervision in terms of helping therapists grow and develop their clinical skill sets. Right. So that's a really good way to distinguish the two. I think that's a, those are really good definitions. So clinical supervision is for developing therapists, uh, either, you know, pre-licensure or fully licensed therapists and working on their clinical skill sets. And then um, 
a supervisor, like an administrative supervisor, would be somebody who kind of helps keep track of administrative duties. So like running a program or getting tasks done, um, meeting deadlines, all of that other stuff that you would find at maybe any other organization or job. But it's like we have this extra layer when you're a clinical supervisor. Absolutely, yeah. And that extra layer is really helping uh, your supervisee um, kind of gain more of that knowledge of how to how to become, um, you know, the, the, how, how to kind of reach their full potential as a therapist. Schools and universities do a wonderful, wonderful job of teaching you the technical side of, you know, of, of therapy, the clinical skill sets needed, um, you know, the, the, the theory behind why we do therapy and the theories behind um, different modalities. But I think uh, clinical supervision is such an important piece, um, you know, to, to becoming a, a better therapist because at its core, it really helps you to kind of understand who you are, um, understand what triggers you, understand how, you know, your triggers um, can then, you know, change how you are and change the dynamic between you and your client in session and so it provides a lot of support it provides a lot of guidance it provides a lot of uh, you know positive feedback um that i think you need uh, as you're developing as a clinician um you know and i think i think as um as you continue to uh grow as a clinician you know, the times continue to change. You know, when, when I first started at the Child Guidance Center, I had no idea what trauma modalities were uh, other than, you know, something like prolonged exposure therapy, which I wasn't trained on. I just knew about it. Um, and th- there's a story that I can use of, of, of a client who came in, um, you know, who had suffered this, this horrific tragedy of community violence in what is... Uh, Mexico, and I remember seeing this this young child, and I was baffled as to what to do. I remember going up to Kathy and telling her, "I have no idea what to do for this child." Um, and as a clinical supervisor, um, she saw that what I needed and what I was asking for, and she moved on it. And um, you know, through her help, we were able to get uh, EMDR training, and that EMDR training helped uh, tremendously for this child. I mean, I was not able to continue on working with this child for as long as I wanted to, to continue to, to help, but I, I made a big enough impact to where this child was not having nightmares, this child was not having um you know, the symptoms that they were having. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have that that um, supervision uh, and that support of a supervisor to help me grow and continue to grow as a clinician. So um, supervision, clinical supervision is just, it's just paramount to you um, maintaining a high level of care for these clients. Yeah, it does. I believe it really does kind of have this like trickle down effect right like if you have a good supervisor 
then you have a good clinician or somebody who's improving on their skills, and then they might catch things or be able to help clients in a different way than they were not equipped to do before, which is awesome. And so I know that probably, and I'm biased because I work at the guidance center, right? So I'm like, <laughs> it's nice that we have weekly individual supervision and weekly uh, group supervision because then um, supervisors who are in the room or the clinical director who's in the room can hear about the needs that are present with the therapists, with the practicing clinicians, and they can kind of hear like, okay, well, this person needs this skill set or needs training in this modality so that we can provide higher quality care. And so, and that's supervision post, uh, post licensure like after you get licensed but sometimes you'll have you'll be able to sometimes in some places you'll be able to get a job as a uh, therapist uh, or a clinician where you don't have to be fully licensed or you can have an LPC intern designation that's we call it in Texas and um, before we started recording Tim, you were telling me a little bit about the licensure kind of stuff that's going on with you right now. So you moved from Texas to Philadelphia. If you move from one state to another, every state has their own licensing rules and bylaws and codes and all that stuff. So what has it been like for you, Tim, to <laughs> to get licensed in Philadelphia? Yeah, I love what you said about that because I really do want... Um you know, for, for, for those who are listening that are, that are about to, um, you know, apply for licensure or about to get, you know, fully licensed is just really knowing state to state what the uh, rules are for licensure because some states are, can be, you know, more lenient than others. I don't know another, another way to say it. It's, it's a little bit easier to transfer license over. Some states allow reciprocity. If you've had your full license for a certain amount of time, you get uh, reciprocity. Pennsylvania does not do that. Um, you know, there is no reciprocity. You have to apply for a brand new license uh, when you come here. Um, and so I did that and I had everything um, ready. Everything was clear, but there was a discrepancy in my transcript from UTEP Um uh, initially, um, so there's, I've just been, I've been working on that for, gosh, I don't know, seven, eight months already, uh, trying to clear it up and it's just been a hassle. So I'm not currently licensed. Um, however, um, in Philadelphia, because of just the, the way that they're able to work through CBH, um, you don't have to be licensed um, to provide therapy, you're always supervised by psychiatrists. Even if you're fully licensed, psychiatrists uh, all sign off on your uh, treatment plans and things like that, evals. So you um, you do work with a, a psychiatrist here. So that's um, one of the ways that, that um, you're able to continue uh, doing therapy. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been tough, and I haven't really I've been so busy that I haven't really had the time to really sit down and talk to um, UTEP and to talk to the state board and to make sure I get everything set and get right so that I can get this uh, license and it just boils down to that one class. So, um, I think by now I could have probably taken the class online by now and passed it and showed it to them, um, and been able to get my license, but, um, that hasn't been the case. So, um, definitely, definitely, um, 
you know, it's 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 just just be aware of the state's uh, licensing, which I was. I did my research on the licensing board here, uh, what the requirements were, and I felt I thought I had it all, but there's just that one discrepancy. Um, keep in mind, also. Um, you know, your KCREP programs. Um, when I went to UTEP uh, and got my master's, it was not a KCREP uh, program. I think now they're working toward I think it actually, I'm not sure if you know, Crystal, I think they actually have that designation now, KCREP, um, where they, you know, just, just the standards have, have um, gone up there. Um, but uh, if you're not a KCREP, if you didn't graduate from a KCREP school, that can... Um, impact you when you're applying for a license in different states because they do require that so it's something else to look at yeah i don't know honestly i don't think they're there yet i think they might have submitted their application in the fall to kcrep uh but i don't think i don't think they've gotten it yet uh so just to let everybody know i am googling what KCREP stands for because <laughs> I don't even know sure, what it yeah. stands for. I don't know what it stands for yet. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what Tim is referring to when he talks about KCREP, it's the Council for Accreditation of Counseling and Related Educational Programs. And so this accreditation can be important when you are either seeking licensure, um, getting credentialed through certain insurance companies such as TRICARE, um, which is the military kind of insurance uh, provider. And then also um, if you want to get reciprocity, like Tim is talking about in his case. So if you have the opportunity to kind of research your university and your master's program before you enter it, and um, they have a KCREP um, accredited program, it might be to your benefit to attend that program just because um it makes certain things easier, I guess, like reciprocity. So they're kind of holding you up on a class, right? So yeah, I think um, one of the things that I would advise to like a student who might be listening to this is like, save all your syllabi, save like classwork, um, get your transcripts in order, like get letters from professors and stuff like that, like things that can help you prove that you took the class. <laughs> Cause, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes you never know who will ask you for that. Um, and it can be an important thing. So, But thankfully, Tim, they are, you know, um, you're working under a licensed psychiatrist and you have the ability to be a supervisor. You have the experience. And so um, I think they made the right call keeping you, stealing you from us. But whatever. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I forgive them. Just kidding. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I keep saying, uh, you know, the, the, the clinical director right now, he's, she's, um, I've, I've been able to uh, go to different uh, meetings uh, with different agencies in terms of, uh, you know, the agencies that are, are trained in these evidence-based practices. And, you know, when I introduce myself, uh, the first thing she'll tell them is, don't you dare try to steal him from us. Uh, so yeah, I think, um, I've been very fortunate, uh, to have the training that I've had, uh, that was made possible there at the, at the child guidance center and to, to be able to continue to grow as a therapist and a supervisor. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's important. I think it just goes to show how important it is, um, to have uh, good supervision and to have supervisors, 
um, who can teach you not only how to become a great clinician, uh, but to teach you also how to supervise, because that's the important thing. We, we definitely need great therapists, but in order to have great therapists, you have to have great supervisors, and you have to train the supervisors as well. So it's really important that you know we have supervisors who are training supervisors. Um, I think that's just as important as just training therapists. That's a really good point. Um, I think it's so true that like good supervisors can create other good supervisors to create good therapists because I'm sure the ratio is like huge, right? Um, people leaving graduate school programs, getting their LPC internships going. I don't know exactly what the stats are, but I could imagine there's like one supervisor for at least every like 10, 20, 30 therapists and so they're needed out there to be training future therapists um well yeah and, and the thing about i mean i can tell you just just in philadelphia alone i mean there's so many programs so many great programs that you know have you know social work uh counseling marriage family therapy programs here like like upenn uh drexel uh temple uh widener university uh i mean just so many programs here, you know, so many great programs uh, for students. And, you know, as they're coming out, it's really important for them to have that good supervision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, my last question is, if you have any general advice for future supervisors or clinical directors or people who have been called to be administrators of, you know, counseling organizations, things like that. Absolutely. I think, I think in order to be a good supervisor, you really, you really need to be able to have uh, some support for yourself, whether that's peer to peer support as a supervisor, whether that's having uh, a supervisor for yourself to continue working on your supervisor skills. Um, definitely want to go get training um, in supervision. Now, in Texas, you have the, the, the training course where you could get um, training to become a licensed supervisor. I was very lucky in the um, supervisor that I had because of her style of supervision and her way of teaching matched my own. So I think it's really important to know the type of therapist you are and the type of supervisor you want to become. Uh, do some research on, you know, training as a supervisor so that your trainer, um, their, their abilities and their styles is kind of matches up with yours. Um, and I think any kind of always have ongoing training uh, for supervision, um, you know, and whatever you and whatever you choose. I think that's really, really super important. And also, um, you know, put some time into into what you feel like you want to um, to do with your career. Um, I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist and I wanted to improve my clinical skill set. Um, and I don't ever see myself stopping. Uh, you know, therapy. I always want to to conduct therapy and work one on one with clients. So, for me, being a clinical director um, is is not really in the cards because it, it takes me away from from seeing as many clients as I would like to. Uh, because there's just a lot of administrative work that goes into running a clinical department, running a clinical program. So, um, I think kind of. Uh, thinking about what you want for your career is important in terms of 
you know, how you want to advance in your career. Do you want to continue to do research? Um, does that mean going back to school to get your PhD along with seeing clients? Do you want to do more evaluations? Do you want to do more psychotherapy? Do you want to run a program? I mean, it's a lot of these questions you have to, you know, think about and answer for yourself. And I think that'll kind of help steer you in the right direction of, do I want to be a supervisor? Do I want to learn an evidence-based practice and see if I could become a trainer in it and train people on this? Um, do I want to be an administrative supervisor and run whole programs? Um, you know, I think it just depends and you just have to kind of um, do your research about, you know, these different kinds of programs and also kind of really do a lot of um, self-reflection and seeing what you want to do for your career. Yeah, and it sounds like to sum everything up, you know, you, you have to really understand you know yourself and what you want what you don't want but then also be committed to if you're going to be in the mental health profession in any capacity whether that be a clinical director a therapist a therapist supervisor um somebody who gets a phd in like counselor education or even research psychology it's a lifelong learning career um it's never something where you stay stagnant. And as long as people are unpredictable, um, that's how long you'll have to learn, which is like your lifetime <laughs> in the career. Yeah. So even if you do arrive at like a directorship position, um, it sounds like you still have to be committed to learning um, no matter what. Constant learning. Constant learning from... Um your peers, from your supervisors, from your clients, uh, from trainers. It's just a constant evolving profession. Um, and in order to make sure that you're doing the absolute best for your client and for yourself, um, it's just a lot of uh, reflection and a lot of, um, you know, learning. It's nonstop learning. Yep, I totally agree. We're on the same page about that. <laughs> um, do you have any final thoughts or anything else that... Um, you feel maybe we missed or just any final thoughts at all? Um, I don't think there's, there's anything we missed. I just, um, I'm super proud of you for uh, having this podcast and for um, continuing on with it. I wish you nothing but the best. I'm so excited and I'm so happy that uh, I got to talk to you on your podcast. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for being a great supervisor because good supervisors make good supervisors. In May, I'll be eligible to apply for that license. So Wonderful. I'm hoping to make you proud with that one. I'll let you know when it comes Yay. in. Thanks, Tim, for coming onto the podcast and letting us know a little bit more about clinical supervision and working as a supervisor in an organization. So there you have it. If you want more information on clinical supervision, you can uh, listen to the previous episode with Dr. Kate Walker. And there's some more exciting stuff coming up on the podcast. I'll be talking to a school psychologist, a play therapist, a contemplative therapist, a counseling psychologist, all kinds of other professionals. And I hope that you stick with me to continue to discover these different professions in the mental health field. For more information, visit www.throughtheeyesofatherapist.org. And remember that the podcast is free. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Stitcher, 
YouTube, and Podbean. Thanks for joining me, your host, Crystal Martinez Acosta. Until next time.